You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. Someday we are going to see personal computers that may look nothing like the ones we have today. They may be small enough to wear on your wrist, to be sewn into the fabric of your clothes, or even worn in your spectacles. Former Apple CEO John Scully. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. In a 13-year career at PepsiCo, including six years as its president, John Scully established a reputation as something of a marketing genius. If you've ever seen the Pepsi Challenge, that was his idea. And then he made the switch from selling flavored sugared carbonated water to selling personal computers. In 1983, Scully became CEO of Apple. And soon, behind his marketing skills, Apple had rival IBM on the run. In 1987, right in the middle of his 10-year run at Apple, Scully wrote a book about his transition from Pepsi to Apple. He called it Odyssey, and that's when I had a chance to meet him and talk with him. Now, two things for you to know about this interview. No, three things. One, Scully appears to have maybe hired a consultant who told him, be sure to put the name of the book every time you answer a question. So you're going to hear a lot of references in this interview to Odyssey. He'll, Sean Scully will reference Odyssey a lot. Second thing, and this actually was a lesson for me, be sure and check your microphones before doing an interview. Turns out my microphone was essentially dead for this interview, and I didn't realize it until after it was over and Scully had left. So that's why this interview, parts of the audio sound a little odd. It's because my microphone was dead. Okay, lesson learned, Bill. And the third thing, and this is the most intriguing, this was 1987. Just at the dawning of the personal computer era, very few people had personal computers in their homes, and if they did have them, all they were doing was storing recipes or balancing their checkbooks on them. Yet in this interview, John Scully is talking about things that now, 34 years later, we take for granted, as you're about to hear. So this is almost like a back-to-the-future moment. So here now, from 1987, John Scully. An Odyssey is a story of the transition from the industrial age to the information age. It's really a passage that I've had the opportunity to run a company in both worlds and really to not talk about the history of what's happened, but to give some perspective of the future. Where are we going as we enter the beginning years of the 21st century? There, is, there are some very fundamental differences between the two industries that you have that you have been heads of companies in. What what are some of the, the most basic differences between the, the two, uh, as you were saying, the industrial and the, the information age? In the industrial age, we saw a great focus on self-sufficiency. Size was important. Competition was everything. In the information age, the strategic resources, ideas, and information. We have to be bigger risk takers. We have to be willing to make mistakes. And this is a book about learning from one's mistakes, learning that the CEO is no longer the John Wayne invincible figure, but the CEO must be someone who can listen and lead from the mistakes that you make and be able to recover quickly. Were you happy at Pepsi? I was remarkably happy, and that's why it was such a surprise to so many that I left Pepsi and went on to something that was so far different from anything that corporate America had ever known. You, 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 look, you strike me as the type who would thrive on the, on the fierce competition of the soft drink industry. For 16 years, I was at Pepsi, where we competed for fractions of a share point against Coca-Cola. 
And to go to Apple was an entirely new world where competition was only one of the things we did. Most important was building new markets, using innovation, using technology to shape a different world. And in fact, even change the world was one of the passionate dreams that people at Apple have had since the company was founded. Change the world means changing people's behavior by introducing a new technology that hopefully can be as important as the telephone was in our lives or the automobile has been during the 20th century. The personal computer can change the way we think, the way we work, the way we communicate, and the way we learn. So this can be a product that can shape our world as we move out into the 21st century. We were told once that every home would have a computer within a, a matter of a couple of years. We would all be using our computers at home, not just to file recipes, but we would we, make real concrete use of those computers at home. And yet so few homes seem to have computers in these days. Many of the promises that were made for home computers never lived up to the expectations because when people got them home, they discovered there were, weren't all that many things they could do with them. But that doesn't mean that personal computers aren't a revolutionary product. They're being accepted in business, they're accepted in education, and many individuals, including enthusiasts and people who have home offices, are finding very functional, productive ways to use personal computers. But someday we are going to see personal computers that may look nothing like the ones we have today. They may be small enough to wear on your wrist, to be sewn into the fabric of your clothes, or even worn in your spectacles. And at that point in time, we'll have an infrastructure of information over telecommunications lines, which will mean that we'll have vastly different opportunities to use computers in the home than what we saw in the beginnings of the personal computer I'd generation. Heard, I'd heard it said once that the reason that they didn't go over was because it was too inconvenient. If you had your computer in your den and you had your recipe stored there, the woman didn't want to walk, or the man, I suppose, didn't want to walk from the kitchen into the den to look up uh, a, a recipe, or you didn't want to walk into there from some other room to do something. And I'd heard somewhere that perhaps the way computers could best be used is to have, as you were, I think, alluding to, a single-purpose computer in the kitchen. You'd have something perhaps built into the wall near the microwave oven that you could punch up and get your favorite recipe from, or something along those lines. Well, I think that a personal computer has been most successful when it really lets you do something better than any other way that you could do it. So, for example, we developed a market called desktop publishing, which lets you have typeset quality documents, proposals, presentations, reports that weren't possible when we had just word processing or even typewriters before that. But the personal computer as an aid for keeping recipes really isn't any easier to use than keeping a notebook or a little card catalog. A personal computer to balance your checkbook isn't any more productive than balancing your checkbook by hand with a pocket calculator. So those ideas for personal computing never really materialized into important markets. The ones that are booming, though, are the ones that relate to personal productivity in the office place, whether it's the home office or the business office, or personal productivity in schools, whether it's at the school itself or home education where kids are doing the things at home that they do at school with their computers. Did you anticipate at all the, the booming success of the desktop publishing? Many people questioned whether Apple was wise in trying to pursue the business market after we had failed so many times in the past and IBM had such an entrenched position. But we felt that Apple was at its best when it could create new markets and use innovation as the way to open up new possibilities for personal productivity. We developed what was called desktop publishing, and desktop publishing became 
the way for Apple to enter the business market without going head-to-head against IBM, but rather creating a brand new use. And in fact, it's not only important in business, but it's becoming phenomenally important in the government. No one publishes more documents than the federal government. No one has a greater need for training and documentation than the federal government. No one does more briefings than the federal government. So we believe we're going to have a tremendous impact on government as well as business. After this short break, John Scully's take on why Apple cut ties with co-founder Steve Jobs. Now back to my 1987 interview with John Scully. That must be terribly exciting for you to go to work each day and know that you are right on the cutting edge of what's happening. The reason I wrote my book, Odyssey, Pepsi to Apple, was because I wanted people to see the tremendous possibilities we have in the early 21st century. And the thing that I and others find frustrating is that so many of our political leaders are giving us hollow answers to the important questions and focusing on the short-term issues, which are probably necessary to get elected, but are missing the long-term issues like revolutionizing our public education system and preparing us to be far more competitive in a global dynamic society where we are just a player on a world network as opposed to sitting at the top of a hierarchy as we were in the industrial age. So I hope that my book will inspire a lot of young people who care about the 21st century, will be reaching their stride some 12 or 13 years from now, and want some better answers from our presidential candidates as we start to move into the 1988 presidential campaign. Some people might say that's awfully idealistic. Most people getting into business school today or coming into college, period, just want to get a degree and find a job with that degree. <laughs> you know, Fine if you can worry about the philosophical, worry about the future, worry who we're going to vote for when that comes, but just give me a job right now. Apple is a company where the average age of all of our employees worldwide is only 29. So we perhaps are young idealists. But we have done a lot already to change the world. We've had contrarian ideas. We've gone against conventional wisdom. And yet we've been able to build a company that has a market value today of about $7.5 billion. So I think people are starting to listen that maybe there are some better answers or even some better questions than the ones we've been getting from the traditional institutional leaders of the past. What happens to the Pepsis of the world, those industries, as brilliant men such as yourself move on to the Apples and the IBMs? The reason why I think my book Odyssey is important for young people is that we're not looking at a failing company in the industrial age or a failing company in the information age, but we're looking at two very successful examples. Pepsi continues to be a thriving, successful corporation and will be in the years ahead. And Apple is setting a whole new direction with a different style of management and a different concept of what a business can be. So the comparison is between the best of the best rather than one that's failed and the other is succeeding. What happened with Stephen Jobs? Steve Jobs is really one of the important visionaries of the 20th century because he recognized that there was a very important role for the personal computer that was going to reshape the behavior of people and perhaps even change our lifestyle and society in the years ahead. Steve was one who could build a company from its entrepreneurial roots, but sometimes the skills that it takes to build a company aren't necessarily the same skills it takes to run it after it becomes a large and complex business. So he's now gone off to start another new enterprise, and we'll see in the years ahead whether he is wondrously ahead of his time once again. Made him a billionaire, didn't it? Well, it certainly uh, brought a lot of wealth to him and a lot of notoriety, and he is 
clearly one of the exciting figures of the latter 20th century. People who aren't familiar with with the story of, of, of how his his departure came about, though, must be scratching their heads and wondering, how can you fire a man from the company he founded in his garage? One of the things I wanted to accomplish in my, my book, Odyssey, was to show that this American folk legend story that has been popularized so much over the 10 years history of Apple has a lot of truth to it, uh, but it also reads like fiction. And so we're trying to put together a story that can tell a message that can be important to others who are trying to start their own companies, who are trying to figure out what their careers ought to be or how they can make a difference. So it's a fast-paced narrative, but hopefully it's packed with some powerful ideas. I interviewed about a year or so ago a man who, written, who wrote a fascinating book about IBM called Big Blue. Uh, I don't know if you read the book, but it was a great book about how IBM has used its incredible power to monopolize in any area it can in the computer industry. Uh, it would strike the reader of that book that Apple and any other competitor that IBM has is fighting a losing battle. It must be over. IBM's got it. That They use whatever means they have to, to to maintain the the edge that they have. I think the big message that I have in my book, Odyssey, is that you don't have to be the largest corporation in the world in order to be the most successful. That innovation still counts. That we've got to get a right brain tilt in America. That we've got to have a new appreciation for creativity, for the individual's contribution. And that young people, even without the experience of years, even without the backing of a large institution, can make a personal difference. And that's what I want to aspire across this land. Small businesses really are booming these days. Small business has resulted in all of the net job increases during the 1980s. And while large institutions are still accounting for most of the asset value of our American wealth, they don't represent the growth. They don't represent the source of new ideas. It's the new companies, particularly the ones in high technology. And I think there are lessons there that others can learn that can be transferred to other parts of America. Hopefully for you, the ones that are using the desktop publishing. Desktop publishing is one of the exciting new ideas because it shows that we can take something that people had thought was a high-end, dedicated system and bring it down to an affordable level and democratize, really, a new tool that can be used by many people, whether they're in business or government or even for their personal use. Even if you don't even have to have a laser printer. A friend of mine here has, has made up some fantastic little labels for some of the tapes we use here with his printer at home that, that I wouldn't have been... Even I, I like to think of myself as somewhat computer literate, wouldn't have imagined a couple of years ago it would have been possible. At Apple, we call desktop publishing our Trojan horse because once we get the Macintoshes into the institutions for desktop publishing, then remarkably people discover that it does a lot more than just desktop publishing, and it actually turns into a very powerful personal productivity machine. So we've been finding that the Macintoshes seem to populate themselves once they can get in through the door. We used to go in through the back door. Now we're being asked in through the front door. John Scully is 82 now. He's still very active in high-tech startups and delivers lectures regularly on disruptive marketing strategies. And you can find easy Amazon links to John Scully's book at our website, heardeverything.com. Oh, and while you're at heardeverything.com, listen to my interview with Steve Wozniak. I had no money, and because I had never done it before, that that I had to find very cheap ways to do things that were affordable, and I also had to do a very good job without knowing how it's been done before, which is lousier. And of course, we post new episodes of Now I've Heard Everything here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the man they call the Dog Whisperer.
my 2006 interview with Caesar Milan. Dog Park is Chuck E. Cheese. The dog park is not developed by dogs. Dog park is developed by humans who don't want to take a dog for a long walk. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Thank you.